0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for today's SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. I'm your host, Marty Bennett, and today, April 14th, 2021, for the Midweek Roundup, we're going to be taking a look at three important questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last few days, uh, having to do with stories that have been popping up in the news and some thoughts that have been ruminating around in our heads about what the future of our business looks like. Now, we'll be taking a look at those three questions in just a minute, but before I do, I want to give a special shout out to everybody watching live here on Facebook. Uh, It's always a pleasure to be coming to you on Wednesday afternoons, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, to share our thoughts on what some of the key issues of our day are and how they impact what we do. And uh, we also want to uh, give some appreciation and love out to those watching on repeat, because we know how busy our days get. Uh, You don't always get to watch live, but uh, we appreciate you following us uh, when you uh, watch on repeat, either on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. And especially, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for those that are downloading our podcast version of the Midweek Roundup and making it a part of their weekly listening habits. So thanks for that. But let's get right into the questions today because I know there's a lot going on in our world of international education, some pressing issues that we have uh, that we're facing in our recruitment uh, and getting ready for the fall and what that looks like. It's going to be hopefully very different than what last fall was in terms of students coming in. We'll talk about through that over the next uh, several months, I'm sure, before uh, students show up on our doors uh, in August and September. But the first question is, Kind of touching on a lot of the issues we've raised over the last few months is is there a revolution happening in student recruitment, particularly for overseas students? And there's a couple of articles that have popped up recently that have certainly given me and um, uh, reinforced a lot of my thoughts on uh, international education and international student motivations. Certainly, uh, in terms of how students are finding out data, we shared our. our our story last week um, about uh, ways of delivering content uh, sh- uh, that that are ways of delivering content should be changing to meet the needs of prospective students uh, in kind of meeting them where they are, and that's w- and the, what they're looking for is 24/7 access to on-demand content, uh, and that uh, isn't just a website anymore. It's uh, it's the content on that site that is that speaks to them that offers them. Uh, opportunities to, to chat. That offers uh, regularly updated content on, from students and uh, other information that helps paint the picture for them about what life will be like for them as a student on your various campuses. So what that revolution that's actually going on is, I'm certainly one that believes it, that there is something uh, has, that the pandemic has really uh, accelerated uh, international students' uh, ways that they go about their search. Uh, ways that they uh, find institutions. It touches very closely to uh, obviously the digital, digital search uh, uh, that stu- and digital, the ways students search for information about institutions uh, is changing. Uh, they haven't been able to do visits. International students typically aren't the ones, unless you're the super rich, that can afford to go to different institutions in different countries to, to see uh, where they might be applying. You were talking here about the revolution has been in the way, uh, how the way institutions are using tech platforms as part of their student recruitment strategy and activity. That's, that's clearly been a pandemic-induced or accelerated process that uh, has, has taken hold at all, every institution that's serious about recruiting internationally, even those that hope to be serious about it at some point. And one quote I like in a Pi News article that talks about this whole revolution concept in recruitment is from Wendy Alexander, vice principal at the University of Dundee in Scotland. And she makes the point that what I think has changed, quote from her, what I think has changed as a result of the pandemic is a revolution in recruitment and sales that hitherto was not characterized by an online and digital engagement. And she says, students are taking control over their own destination and journey. Uh, They are stuck in their bedrooms. They just want to own what their next step is. So that's one change. So she's making the point here that uh, what the pandemic has done is because students have been basically shuttered away. From the world, uh, doing their classes, high school or uh, university, depending on where they are, online for the last uh, year, uh, it has uh, limited their social exposure and their ability to control their environment uh, outside of their schooling, and it's really for uh, really creating this uh, need amongst these students to really not let this be the way for, forward for them in terms of uh, studying from the bedroom for the rest of their academic career. They want their choices to, be, to, to, be, uh, to have some meaning. And this is something that I think is uh, uh, important, I think, um, in a larger context, uh, social context of, uh, when we are, as humans, when we are uh, feeling boxed in, uh, when we tend to kind of protect what we have, uh, but then also look for ways out, uh, ways to keep control beyond just our, our own own bedrooms, so to speak, or our own homes, whatever it might be. So what is happening now is that you look at uh, some of the platforms that have, have, have gained popularity in the last year, two years, you see uh, products from, uh, pro- uh, from uh, organizations like BridgeU and Ciafalo. Uh, there that are really changing the way uh, that uh, students are preparing for for their their next steps into university. And it's all I think also with the digital uh, reliance on um, on platforms, the uh, various policies that different countries have had. And this is uh, in terms of allowing students in or not uh, during the pandemic. Uh, there have been kind of sea changes in in where students are looking now, uh, where in the past uh, pre-pandemic, you had Australia, New Zealand, uh, and Canada, certainly ri- r- rising up the ranks in terms of popularity as destinations. But since the pandemic, Australia, New Zealand, the international ed industry in those two countries has uh, is on the verge of collapse. Uh, a number of reports have have have, uh, have claimed, uh, because the governments there have been so concerned about keeping the number of cases down, keeping the deaths down, in uh, but at the significant detriment of the economies uh, in those countries, particularly for universities that are heavily reliant on international students to begin with, not being able to enroll them, uh, that is a significant blow. So uh, that you say takes you see where new international students aren't gonna be able to get into those two countries, also China, but that's a uh, totally different story in China, uh, until 2022 at the earliest. So you're looking at uh, a two year run of no new international students being able to get into the country. Uh, there are many who have started their, their journey online uh, with uh, th- their institutions, hopeful destination institutions in those countries, but they're not uh, able to physically get there and not not until 2022 at the earliest so but then you see countries like the uk that have remained largely open Uh, despite concerns they enrolled uh, uh, excellent uh, a fairly significant number of new international students last fall Uh, and uh, we'll get into other stories about how those students experiences have been during the pandemic and whether that is going to have longer-term consequences by the poor experiences they've had there I'll talk about that next week, I think. But uh, you see uh, students that might have been looking to go to Australia or New Zealand changing tack and looking at the UK, looking at the US, looking at Canada. Uh, Canada's been slower rebounding in terms of opening up, but uh, once they do, they're, they're look ready to, to hit the ground running again. But there's, there's real challenges still in terms of, um, access to key destination market that is impacting student choices. And this is something I talk about in my six P's of Strategic International Enrollment Management. It's the first P, it's perspective, is having that as an understanding that if you as an institution have been uh, doing, during the pandemic, yes, you've moved uh, your, your, the way you recruit online, but uh, you haven't necessarily changed your messaging to I uh, really appreciate the fact that these students for the last year and a bit have now been, uh, had their worlds turned upside down, that are now uh, ch- potentially changing destinations where they might wanna study as a result of the, 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 the impact of the pandemic. And if you're not capitalizing on that in terms of what you as an institution are able to do, uh, able to offer as a, uh, to students what the US as a country can do for uh, for international students now in terms of the tone of the administration to changing put, changing policies potentially for the better, uh, putting a much brighter face on uh, international education in this country. If you're not responding to that as part of, uh, and have that perspective of what that student's actually going through uh, and what their choices actually are, uh, that is a missed opportunity if you're not taking advantage of that. So uh, those that are, those institutions that are recognizing that, that are adjusting messaging to, to reach those students where they are to acknowledge their, their current situations are the ones that are gonna be much better placed to have uh, a better fall than, than potentially your competitors uh, who are not uh, being as uh, flexible and adjustable in terms of how they, how they approach uh, prospective students. Now, this PI News article I mentioned uh, talks, is really talking about some of the digital agent aggregators, talking about uh, other platforms that are going, uh, coming online to help uh, really uh, connect students and institutions. Those are, have been around for a while, but they're, they're certainly taking on different forms, and certainly those that are becoming much uh, broader in terms of the scope of, uh, of what they can assist students with throughout their journey to uh, applying and being admitted and enrolling in. Different institutions in different countries. What I think is important, and a second Pi News article on this front uh, talks specifically about the disruptive tech players, uh, about the future of international recruitment and how it is going to be driven uh, by big data. And it is talking about online events. It is talking about maximizing efficiency and impact. Uh, this is uh, really what I think is coming uh, for. Uh, institutions that are flexible in their approach to international education in terms of how they package their programs, uh, their willingness to look at uh, alternate uh, initial destinations, uh, kind of using the NYU model or the Webster University model where students can start their program in one country and finish in another and then maybe eventually come to the U.S. for part of that journey. Uh, These are the things that uh, how institutions look at uh, trans, the issue of transnational education, which is still what we're talking about with in, with NYU and Webster and others that have these branch campuses overseas, and what that looks like, and the flexibility it offers to to students who may be looking to move around and have a variety of options. And this is something that most schools it's not it doesn't even register on their radar what TNE actually is. Uh, so it's uh, seeing how technology will impact this as a, as a potential area for recruitment. Uh, in terms of oppor- opportunities, just got off a call with a, a pathway provider that's looking at different models for how they do things. And you look at what's happened on campuses uh, in the last year and a half. Uh, it had not been happening for a number of years uh, with, uh, for, with intensive English programs, with the decline of scholarship students coming to the U.S., uh, particularly government-funded ones, uh, that, uh, they, that English language programs have been closing down across uh, the country or being dramatically downsized. Uh, what uh, are you doing to re- potentially replace that? Uh, but maybe not replace that as a if you've closed an IEP then you're going to need an option for students that might have normally been coming conditionally that no longer can and have to wait until they get their English up what are ways that you can partner with uh, somebody to look at English language as a part pa- part of that journey? Uh, that can be done maybe uh, online. If they were conditional before with a 5.5 or 6 IELTS and they just need to get up to 6.5, is there a way that that can be done online to help uh, through an online program for 12 weeks or whatever it might be? I think there's great value in that, uh, that looking at um, other ways to, to to promote your programs through creative partnerships that really leverage uh, potentially damaging situation with having to close an IEP to potentially opening up an opportunity in certain countries to really get into a market that maybe you haven't been in dramatically before. Uh, And this is certainly becoming evident, more evident than ever before with uh, what's happening in China. We've seen uh, declining interest from almost across the board in terms of uh, interest from Chinese students in the United States. There's been some reports recently that that interest is still there. And is it growing? Um, Perhaps, uh, but these are very fluid situations. From one survey to the next, you can hear different stories. But uh, the need for diversification of where students are coming from in the United States is, is is an important piece of the puzzle and how, we, how that manifests itself in your strategic planning I think is an important uh, element that you don't want to ignore uh, in how you use creative uh, partnerships to really uh, broaden your scope of how you are bringing in students. Uh, I think there's a lot of um, room for improvement and certainly uh, the concept as this uh, other PI news article uh, makes is that uh, that students are are increasingly geography agnostic in terms of where they go for studies, and that's that perspective issue I was talking about earlier, and that's certainly reflective in this article as well. So again, all the links to these stories I post in the comments section on the Facebook page for SMIE Consulting. Uh, certainly check there if you'd like to get the if you're not watching live and you'd like to get the links to those. Uh, they'll be in the comments uh, around this video presentation. So hopefully that becomes of some value to you. Now let's shift gears and talk to uh, one of the, probably the most significant issue that's going to impact fall uh, enrollments here in the United States, and that is, is there hope consulates will reopen soon? And we've talked uh, before about this has kind of been that looming crisis, uh, and that's certainly something that you see the language, uh, and I think what I have seen that is encouraging me is how uh, you do see a a kind of rallying around this as an issue and and an obvious concern that you saw back when the new administration was sworn in and DHS and State Department secretaries were uh, receiving letters from ACE and that ed Coalition of Associations, uh, making sure that this was on their radar in terms of reopening consulates you now are seeing uh, some incur- more encouraging signs. Uh, an, an initial uh, article last week from uh, in Inside Higher Ed says that uh, we're, uh, there's another uncertain admission cycle uh, uh, coming for international students, and that has to do with uh, uh, being able to access visa uh, appointments. Uh, that in China, still the case that uh, they're not open yet other than emergency appointments. And that's a significant issue. Uh, there are the there, there pandemic-related travel bans r- remain in place for countries like China and Brazil. That means that uh, these students would have to go to third-party third-party countries to potentially get visas now, particularly Chinese students, and then come to the U.S. Uh, to avoid that uh, that travel travel ban. Uh, so there are other, even though there are exemptions in there, there's still that uneasiness and that uncertainty. So this, uh, this Inside Higher Ed article certainly does give a, a broader uh, perspective on the issues involved here and that um, the, uh, the, the damage was certainly done in terms of the students that actually physically got here last fall, uh, so down 72% uh, in terms of the new, new international students, uh, overall down 18% in terms of total international students as from fall 2020. Uh, compared to twenty nineteen. So that what is what is going to be a, a major issue, again, is uh, when consulates in China open up, when consulates and other other major source countries open up. So what is the rec- the recommendation certainly have been to get this process going now uh, before mid-May when peak visa season starts. And uh, as for those who aren't familiar with visa regulations, students can apply for visas no earlier than 120 days before the start date on their I-20s. So for students starting middle of August, uh, go back uh, June, July, uh, May, uh, April is, is, is you, for middle August start dates, middle April is usually when the for early, for, for earliest date you can actually apply for student visa. So that's right about now, April 14th we're talking. So if your institution starting April, August for 15th, then right now is about when they could first go for appointments depending on where they are in the world and the availability of consular appointments. So uh, for those starting in September, we're looking May 1st. So between now and the middle of May is when the potential rush can begin for fall, fall 2021. And th- there's been a number of uh, folks, uh, we've already seen uh, consular officer or uh, this department of state say that uh, there is possibility for those that are renewing visas, maybe those that were stuck abroad uh, while they were continuing their degree online that need to renew visas, there's uh, ability to have those interviews waived. But for new students, that's not yet a possibility. Uh, but that's something that uh, certain groups have been advocating for is for get a, give interview waivers for new international students coming in. Uh, that uh, for those particularly that maybe that started online last fall that uh, been enrolled uh, but are, are now looking to physically come this fall uh, to look at possibilities of video interviews. Uh, that certainly is uh, an option uh, depending on security issues and, and what Denver. Uh, verification of identity and that type of thing. Those are things that certainly uh, are gonna be important pieces of the puzzle, but that needs to happen now uh, because of the damage that has been done over the last year and a half with consulates not being open uh, that uh, in order to process these students before they come uh, in time, uh, to allow them to come uh, this fall is, is, is is a major challenge. Um, what uh, Another particularly useful article was uh, actually NAFSA put out um, uh, their COVID-19 restrictions on U.S. visa and entries that so goes back uh, for quite some time, uh, documenting all the different areas that are still uh, under that ban, uh, like the, the, there are student exemptions for Brazil, China, Iran, or Ireland, the Sh- uh, Schengen area in Europe, the U.K., and South Africa. Um, but uh, it, they, it kind of details what the current state of, of affairs is on this front. But they uh, also go into uh, some of the reasons why uh, we see these bans are that why consulates have not been able to reopen yet. Uh, so that it's it's definitely worth uh, checking out this so that you're up to speed on what is uh, what's happening because. Uh, There was an updated in April, uh, April 6th this year, there was the phased resumption of routine visa services memo that went out by state, uh, talked about Uh, some of the restraints on why they haven't been able to reopen uh, for visa services. Uh, And that he says include these things, the the memo included from state said, local and national lockdowns, travel restrictions, host country quarantine regulations, and measures taken by embassies and consulates to contain the spread of COVID-19 uh combined these restrictions have reduced appointment capacity during the pandemic which has created a significant backlog of both immigrant and non-immigrant visa applicants awaiting awaiting a visa interview so that's that's certainly painting the picture of why that's happened the way it has Uh, but as countries are reopening you look at what's happened why the uk has enjoyed so much success is there? they don't require the in-person interview, they have a third party that does all the paperwork processing, so they, those students didn't have to go to a physical consulate or embassy to have an interview to get their visa processed for entry last fall, and assuming a similar case would be in effect for this fall. So that put them at a very significant advantage as a, as a destination market. So the U.S. certainly doesn't have that currently as, a, as an option to outsource the, the visa processing. That, that all has to go through uh, the consul, consulates directly. So, uh, so that certainly paints a, not a very promising picture other than they are looking to get back up as, as quickly as possible and have to work within the local conditions. We don't get anything more specific for, for that uh, as to why it's taking so long. Uh, but what is uh, encouraging, we do see uh, some countries uh, in India, thankfully the second largest source country for students in the United States, that uh, there's reason for optimism now. Uh, the US Embassy in Delhi is now prioritizing student visa applicants uh, to, to allow that to make sure that to allow them uh, to be, uh, be able to arrive for August, September for start dates then. That you now see um, consular sections are open for appointments in all non immigrant visa categories. So in India, they've reopened. So that's huge news, and it's certainly something we want to celebrate. Uh, uh, Particularly those that have been seeing uh, huge jumps in Indian uh, interest, Uh, the undergrad and grad levels, uh, probably undergrad more surprisingly than most uh, having a big jump in terms of applications this year. So I think we're we're poised for some success from India to the U.S. this fall. Uh, Certainly much greater numbers than uh, certainly we had last fall fall, and certainly um, I would say on a definitely upward trajectory in terms of what the future is going to look like for uh, U.S. India student flows to us, to the U.S. So we'll see uh, see where that goes, but that's certainly a very promising one. And uh, when when we're talking about uh, the the real 800-pound gorilla in the room is China and uh, or Dragon in this case. Uh, as to what's going to be uh, going to make or break this fall for U.S. campuses. It'll be that even though there's been declining interest from China, there's been a backlog of students that started remotely or started at overseas partners uh, institutions for U.S. campuses or through, as we've talked about, the INTED CIE model that has used those centers from CIE in China to enroll students uh, in U.S. style classrooms for the past year. Uh, or past academic year, starting in the fall. So those kind of students are looking to come, uh, who have been in that arrangement uh, for the last year, they're looking to come to for, in person for the fall, but that can't happen unless those consulates are open or they go to a third country to get uh, a visa first to come. So we'll see what happens, but there's at least initial signs now from India and hopefully other countries soon that uh, embassies and consulates, U.S. embassies and consulates will be back up and running and making, their, um, making appointments available again. So that access is going to be huge and certainly uh, gives us some reason for uh, more optimism than we had a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but uh, we're really looking forward to seeing more, more embassies and consulates and consul chiefs in, in, in major countries say that. Uh, they are uh, open for business and uh, they're going to hopefully be caught up uh, with all the pent-up demand and get everybody who wants to be in the U.S. Who's, who pass, who's qualified for a visa can get it in order to make it here by the fall. So fingers crossed. We'll, we'll hope that uh, that trend continues. Now our final question of the day is one that I talk about regularly with, with clients uh, on university visits uh, when we're talking about. Um, kind of messaging to to prospective students and to your international students as a whole is do you need a com plan for your enrolled students and this is something that is it's kind of strikes you as a little odd It's like well why do I need to communicate in an organized fashion with my students that are already on campus why should I why shouldn't should not just be for the prospective students until they enroll uh many schools do take that and maybe only send messages out when their deadlines coming up or you got to get your i-20 signed before you travel or uh, if you're applying for opt you got to have this information so most standard messages are 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 important but if this last year has taught us anything is if you're as an international office uh, isss office or a larger uh, international ed office are not communicating regularly with your currently enrolled students, it can potentially lead to miscommunication. It can lead to uh, bad feelings uh, arising when they feel that they're not being heard, or their issues are not being addressed. We saw schools last summer uh, that uh, when things were moving fairly quickly in terms of government policies, in terms of uh, if you're going hybrid or online, uh, you wouldn't be able to come. Uh, you, uh, returning students wouldn't be able to come back. New students wouldn't be able to enroll. There was real uncertainty. But for returning students, at some schools, there was no communication, letting them know what that their institution knew that these things were going on. These knew, knew that these situations were being discussed, and uh, didn't and didn't have a plan in place necessarily to answer those questions. So I think it's important for. Uh, more important now than ever when you have these times of uncertainty that you have a communication plan in place for your uh, currently enrolled students because if you don't, there's opportunities for um, negative situations to occur that can uh, impact that student's overall impression of your institution, not just your office. Uh, saying, figuring that you don't care because you're not answering their, uh, not addressing these issues that are obviously big ones for them as international students. So, and uh, certainly student, international students over the last four years, once they've been enrolled in your college campuses, there's always been something happening uh, in the previous administration that uh, was cause for concern, uh, whether it be about OPT, whether it be about um, immigrants to the United States and how they're viewed and policies that would be implemented that potentially negatively impact them. All of this was should have given many opportunities for campuses to develop these kind of um, mechanisms to get the word out and to reassure currently enrolled students about how your how your institution viewed them, and how your office viewed them, and their needs, and that you were looking out for them, and more than anything else, that just that just that communication flow that shares with them that hey, we understand there's uncertainty here. Uh, we want you to know we're looking out for you, and we're going to do everything we can. That message will 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 put a lot, create a lot of goodwill. I think when you when institutions can do that with their current students and can personalize it. And make make students feel like they they're being heard. So I think when you talk about strategic international enrollment management, this is something uh, I've been preaching for years. But when you when that process of strategic enrollment management does not end when the student enrolls, it's enrollment management. Uh, you're managing their enrollment throughout their their time here, not just to get them in the door. Uh, it's it's a full life cycle process that you have to have strategies in place uh for how how are you communicating with this audience how their how these how this important student group is handled by different offices on your campus that they're aware of their issues and that they have uh, mechanisms in place to address them uh, if this isn't a part of your college's uh, process give me a call we'll to work with you on developing a communication plan uh, and i'm put dropping a link to an article uh, from, that's does require NAFSA membership to get access to, but it's entitled Effective Communication Plans and Platforms for the ISS's office. Uh, so this is, again, uh, talking about the journey of that international student on campus and what that looks like. Uh, and I work with uh, several clients when I do program reviews to ha- hammer home this point about uh, the communication doesn't just stop when enrollment starts, uh, that it's uh, it needs to be an ongoing process that, uh, makes that international student know that this office this cal this college this university is aware of their issues and is willing to uh, address them in a timely manner and oftentimes be proactive about it the more you can do that the better impression that's going to leave with your with your currently enrolled students and the better end result that will be for you uh, and depending on how you leverage that relationship potentially having them uh, when they graduate become uh, promoters for your institution and to share their stories about how you handled uh, how your institution helped them uh, during uncertain times and that, that means a lot and that is recruitment gold on the front end so when you can leverage those stories throughout your uh, the enrollment process So that's what we have for you today from the Roundup, and we're looking forward to continuing this conversation in the weeks and months to come. But for now, I want to say thank you for being a part of the uh, midweek Roundup. It's uh, always a pleasure coming to your offices, your home offices, wherever you may be or on your run or walk. Uh, We appreciate the chance uh, to share our thoughts. So until next time, have a wonderful week. Cheers.